Hello, hello, and welcome to another podcast episode of Overpowering Emotions, where I talk all things big emotions, anxiety, emotion regulation, resilience. I'm continuing our parent trap series because, of course, getting out of these traps can make all the difference in the world with our anxious kids. And oftentimes, there's a lot of things we don't even need to do. If we can just stop doing our traps, we're already going to be promoting our children's resilience. The biggest trap that we fall into is like, I I see they're all the biggest traps, but there's a lot of common ones, right? The catastrophizing I talked about last week, accommodation is another big one. This is where we do things as adults, and it doesn't even have to be adults. It could also be siblings and other children, right? We do things to avoid triggering anxiety in children, or we do things to make them feel better so they're not feeling as anxious. And it's not even just around anxiety. It could be anything where we're just trying to take away any distress, disappointment, grief, sadness, rejection. We're trying to take that away. So we're trying to minimize them feeling any of those big emotions. So it can range from speaking for a shy child. If you have a young or even an old shy child, we are speaking for them. We might be avoiding social gatherings. We might be picking them up from a sleepover. You know, we're just preventing that child from feeling any distress. Maybe we're giving them lots of warnings about things that are coming up or fire drill at school, right? So oftentimes our accommodations, we I, I talk about they're enabling our kids and that's a problem. And so we will usually either um, engage, participate in anxiety-related behaviors like checking, checking under the bed, checking to make sure all the doors are locked, checking, you know, what whatever it is that the children are wanting, we are doing those things with them. Or we're modifying things to make it easier, to make it less distressing. When a child struggles with anxiety, the natural parental instinct is to protect the child, shield them from distress. So protecting our children, it's ingrained in our brain. We come by it honestly. So I know it's hard to separate guilt. We're always saying, you know, here's your baby and five pounds of guilt compounded annually for the rest of your life, right? But we do come by it honestly. It's ingrained in our brain. And avoiding real danger, that's important when there's real danger. But unfortunately, our kids don't face daily danger. And every day, we are usually doing something to make kids feel better. It seems helpful in the moment, right? When it seems like we're reducing stress for children, even for ourselves, we're reducing stress, we're feeling better. And that's why we keep doing it because we're reinforcing the brain. See, I do this thing, avoid, and then I feel better. And so when the brain is reinforced, we're more likely to engage in those behaviors, but it's only the short term because those accommodations actually have long-term detrimental effects. And it's just perpetuating and even worsening children's anxiety for so many reasons. One, I mean, a big one is that these accommodations often lead to dependency, increased dependency on those accommodations. And so when they're relying on the adult to make them feel better, to make sure they're safe, to whatever it is, we're preventing the child from learning how to cope and how to manage that anxiety independently. And when children avoid situations that trigger their anxiety because of the accommodation, they're losing really important opportunities to learn that these situations might be manageable or might even be safe. 
And that avoidance reinforces the belief that the feared situation is indeed threatening and it's strengthening the anxiety. See, you came to pick me up from the sleepover from in the middle of the night. Therefore, it was a big deal. I can't handle it. Remember, anxiety is the belief that I can't handle it. See, you're reinforcing that because you're coming to pick me up. I need you to feel better. Accommodating behaviors that can inadvertently teach children that avoidance is the way to go. It's an effective coping mechanism because, look, I feel better. But over time, that really leads to maladaptive coping strategies that's really impeding their ability to face and manage stressful situations, anxiety-inducing situations independently. And, And let's face it, a lot of these situations are just everyday things that kids need to be able to manage, right? So that can become a problem as well. And when we have these repeated accommodations, that's just eroding the child's confidence in their ability to handle any stressful anxiety provoking situations. This is their self-efficacy. We are robbing them of opportunities to build, not even just robbing them of opportunities, we are stripping their self-efficacy. And the lack of self-efficacy, that can make children even more vulnerable to anxiety and depression and less likely to engage in, in any you know helpful coping behaviors. And we see this ripple effect of accommodations, right, where we're straining the family dynamics too. So now oftentimes parents are feeling frustrated. Maybe there's resentment among family members when this anxiety is just taking over. It can also increase increase this imbalance in the environment where the needs of the anxious child is overshadowing those of other family members. So there's lots of things. I could go on and on just about the detriments of accommodations, but when children do become reliant on those accommodations, they often struggle, not just in terms of their emotional well-being, but they struggle socially. They struggle academically. And it can start spreading, right? It generalizes so quick. So they might avoid participating in group activities and maybe eventually, you know, even going to school, leading to social isolation, academic challenges. What the heck are they going to do when they have to go, you know, to work and things like this? While the accommodations are well-intentioned, I know that none of us want to ingrain anxiety in the brain. That's what we're doing. We're ingraining those anxiety pathways. We're strengthening those anxiety pathways. None of us are wanting to do that. None of us are wanting to make anxiety worse. None of us want to cripple our, our children's resilience, but that's what accommodations do. We have to find better ways that are actually helpful in supporting healthier coping mechanisms and resilience in our kids. So we need to shift away from accommodations to empowerment. And we do this through allowing them to face their fears to sit in distress, to sit in disappointment and losing a game. You know, I hear it all the time. I'm at the rink and families are like, oh, you know, you played your hardest. Don't worry. And they're giving all of these reasons why they should have won, trying to make that disappointment go away. Well, we're minimizing their feelings and they're never learning how to cope with that feeling. They need to learn now. Everything, grief, rejection, disappointment, the more experience they have handling a full range of emotions, the easier they're going to have as an adult. We don't want to wait until they're an adult to have experience their first rejection, their first disappointment, because they're going to fall so much further and harder. We can do exposure practice sessions 
So we're, you know, we're practicing feeling big feelings. We're practicing facing whatever is stressful for us or creating anxiety, or we can capitalize on anxiety provoking situations that come up because I bet there are ones every single day, especially for our anxious kiddos. Um, So maybe, you know, we are having controlled conditions where they're confronting their fears in a safe and supportive environment. And that approach really helps them build their resilience and they learn that I can manage my anxiety. I have a whole other, you know, episode series of episode on exposure, letting our children face their fears. So I'm not going to be getting into that today. So definitely go check those out. I also have series on teaching them the coping skills and problem solving skills to help them with those. So check those out. I'm really focusing on the accommodations for today and the traps in this series. But I do want to focus on what we need to do as they relate to the accommodations, especially because we can't force our kids to do things. So we want to give them the opportunity. We want to make sure that they've got opportunities to experience big emotions, face those stressful situations, but we can never force them. So if they're like, no, 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 there's no way I'm going to school. There are things that we can do. We can change our own behavior to promote their independence simply by stopping the accommodations we're doing. We're still supportive. This is not tough love. And I think that that's really important. I I am an attachment parent. I am an attachment psychologist. I understand the importance of attachment. I'm not saying suck it up, princess, and get to school. It's not tough love. We are supportive. We are validating their situation. We are feeling showing them that we feel and understand their perspective. That is so important. They need to feel heard. They need to feel understood because if they're not, they're going to push back, push back, push back, and that anxiety is going to get worse. The power struggle is going to get worse. So that piece, that supportive piece is super important. But then we also want to show the confidence that you can handle the situation. I know you can handle it. We do not want to perpetuate the story that you can't handle it. That's what accommodations are doing. So when we're responding with support and confidence, we're helping them gain confidence in their ability to manage anxiety. This is our role. Our role is not to jump in and save. For sure, if there's a real danger and they're about to be attacked by a bear, jump in and save your child, okay? But if it's every day, it's a reasonable risk, it's a reasonable situation that all children are facing, like a friendship fire or a broken heart or having to go to school, having to write a test. It's about providing balanced support. So we're empathetic to the child's anxiety and we're validating their experiences, but we're not reinforcing it through that excessive accommodation. We're tapping into their expertise. We're asking them how they are going to manage, right? We can also do other things, you know, on the side, like encouraging decision-making to build their sense of autonomy and competence. Actually, recently we were just... um, repainting the house. It was never a plan. We were never going to do it. My daughter one day said, hmm, we should really do this. And I'm like, well, pick some colors and, you know, maybe we'll make a plan. Well, guess what? She picked some colors, colors that I would never, ever consider painting my house. And I said, okay, if you're willing to help paint, like, let's do this thing. She, so not only did I let her pick the colors, I also let her paint my walls. And I wasn't going around touching up, you know, if there's little things, she had ownership, right? And she has come out so confident. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure about this color. I feel like I'm in a hospital. Like it was just a baby blue. I'm like, I'm feeling like it's very clinical, 
you know, very um, uh, sterile, you know, just wasn't loving it, but she's actually just finished it today. It's beautiful. And the sense of autonomy and competence that come from that. So giving them opportunities just to make important decisions, to do important tasks, not just paint your room that nobody's going to see, like paint the whole living room. She, she did the whole living room, the whole kitchen and the hallway. So it, it's a lot. So we want to make sure we're doing those things and acknowledging when they are being brave and and when they are doing hard things, it's not just scary things, it's just hard things as well. We want to make sure we're we're giving praise to their efforts to whatever it is, face their fears, to do hard things, regardless of what the outcome is. It's about the effort, the process, and that's what they have control over. So we want to start by looking at our patterns of accommodation and what we can start to change, right? We're not going to stop everything all at once. I, I, I want you you to be successful. I want them to feel successful, but we got to make sure we're consistent and whatever it is that we are going to decide that we are not going to accommodate anymore. So just think about what are you doing for your child that they can do for themselves or for students in the classroom, or if you're working with families, right? You can encourage parents to, to look at what are things that you are doing. And maybe it's not even for anxiety. Maybe it's for anxiety, but maybe it's not. Maybe you're still packing their lunch. Maybe you are still helping them pick out their clothes. You know, three-year-olds can pick out their clothes. So what are you doing for them that they can be the boss of themselves? So choose that thing. And then being consistent in our approach, that's really important because change takes time. So they need to know that they do have to figure it out right? And know that they can. So it's important for us to remain patient and supportive and consistent throughout the process, especially if they're going to push boundaries and push our buttons just to see if we're going to cave in and do it for them, because that can happen. It's really important. So first to be aware of the accommodations that you're providing. And so then we'll create a plan. Once we realize we want to list all of those accommodations, once we have them, we can create a plan for all the adults to assess their accommodations and, and and so maybe grandparents, maybe teachers, maybe coaches, what is everybody doing to accommodate these things that we can change and modify, right? So list them all down. Identify what triggers those behaviors in you. What is it that makes you feel like, I have to accommodate, oh, my baby, I don't want them feeling scared. I got to jump in and save them right? Or, oh, I'm worried, but whatever it is, there's something that's triggering our heartstrings. And then we got to figure out what the opposite would be and start doing that opposite consistently, right? Ideally, all adults are doing this across environments and, and whoever else might be. So I'll go through a couple of examples of accommodations and, and what we can do to help our children overcome anxiety. So I'll just go through, I'm never going to ever talk about a real case, but just kind of common things that I see. So let's say we've got a girl, Emma, 10 years old, socially you know, anxious about social situations. I don't like having specific diagnoses because I bet, you know, the anxiety comes up in other places. It's transdiagnostic. We want to just focus on the process of managing our anxiety. So parents often speak for her in social situations. They don't have play dates. They don't put her in extracurricular activities because they want to prevent that anxiety from escalating. So we want to, 
you know, identify all of those accommodations and support parents' own emotion regulation in managing their own distress, especially when they're seeing Emma in distress herself and working on reducing those accommodations. So, you know, maybe they'll start encouraging Emma to make a small purchase at the store. Cool, kiddo. If you want a bag of chips, here you go. Here's the money. You got to go get it. If you really like no skin off my back, right? It's I don't care if you have chips or not. It's up to you if you really want them. So then they can go and do that thing. Maybe you are in the store with them, but then eventually like I'm going to wait in the car. You go get your chips. Um, Maybe they do organize some short structured play dates, you know, with one friend at a time and then increasing those expectations. Now, I wouldn't say we're going to start small kiddo and then we'll build up. We don't want to do that because we're sending the message. You can't handle a huge sleepover with 10 girls. So we better go small so that you can handle it. No, I don't want to give that message collaborate. What does she want? If she wants to go straight for the sleepover with 10 girls, amazing. Because if she can do that, then everything else is so much easier. But we want to give loads of opportunities for Emma to realize, hey, I can initiate conversations with peers. Even if it's super awkward, I get over it. Hey, I can go do things with other kids. And it's actually quite fun. So then the confidence grows and she can learn to manage those feelings in social situations. And I can handle it. That's the most important piece. Uh, let's say we've got a grade uh, 12-year-old girl, junior high, you know, grade seven, eight, frequently missing school. This is a big one, big, big one. It was bad before COVID, but it's gotten so much worse since COVID. So now parents are accommodating by allowing her to stay at home, especially when things get stressful. So we're working on with her to create a plan to get her back into school. That's really important. Um, When they're still little, we can still pick them up and it's okay. If they're still little enough to pick up, pick them up and take them into school. But it gets to a point where they need to walk in the doors on their own. Okay. So when we can't do that, when we can't pick them up, but just take them in, you know, we don't have, we can't, there's no way we can force them into the school. So this is an example of how we, you know, there's things that are out of our control that we can't force them to do things, but we don't have to give them access to electronics when they're home. We don't have to buy them their favorite foods when they're home. Those favorite foods are for when you go to school. So cool. You can have access when you're at school. These are your school foods, right? Otherwise, we are locking them up. And guess what? You get to do chores when you're home. We're going to make home boring, boring, boring. There's still things that we can do, right? To ensure that home isn't nice and cozy and fun for them. Maybe you're a drill sergeant making it miserable that they just wish they were at, at school, right? So there's little things like that that we could be doing. Um, Our younger kiddos, let's say a six-year-old boy, Jacob, has severe phobia. So let's say it's dogs. That's an easy one. So families accommodating fear by avoiding parks, walking different routes to school if they know that there's a dog, you know, along the fence of the one way that they go to school. Maybe they never make him go to a friend's house who has dogs and then the friend's parents are locking up the dogs if he does come over. So the opposite of avoiding dogs would be to live life whether dogs are along the way or not, right? And even exposing him to dogs, all of those things are important. Um, One thing that I see all the time are, you know, things like test anxiety, right? So in the classroom, students are allowed to take tests home. Maybe they get to skip them completely, whatever it is that we're accommodating. Now, here's the thing. Accommodations are great. If, 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 If you've got a 
kiddo with dyslexia and they need a reader or voice to text technology, those accommodations are fantastic, but we do not want to accommodate the anxiety. It's not going to help them. So we need to create plans so that they can learn, hey, I can take the test like everybody else in the classroom. And that's the thing. We're focusing on reasonable risks that other kids their age are doing. So that's important. Or students who are are too nervous to even participate in class. They're not putting their hand up. They're too scared to be called on. So the accommodation is the teacher, do not call on them. Do not make them read in front of class. Do not make them do, you know, any of these things. But it just makes it worse. I was consulting with a psychologist who said, I can see they, in grade four, they started putting these accommodations in and it was super minor. Don't call on her in class. She doesn't need to put up her hands. Well, fast forward to grade 12, and now she's not even coming to school. She's not writing any tests. She's not doing anything, right? So it sounds really small, and we're just being supportive. But over time, it just gets worse. Or students with separation anxiety and parents are allowed to stay in the classroom with them. It's not going to get any better with these accommodations. We actually know over long term, the anxiety gets more severe. So we need to reduce these accommodations, avoid them in the first place. But if they're already in place, we need to reduce them and help children to cope with their anxiety and manage those big feelings. Now, we definitely need to prepare for extinction bursts, which I'm actually going to talk about next week because it became because it's just a big, overwhelming topic. So be sure sure to tune in next week for that when we're looking at those extinction bursts where the behaviors and the anxiety will get worse in the in the short term when we're reducing or taking away those accommodations. We got to get prepared for big behaviors because oftentimes parents are like, it's not working. We got to stop. But we need to expect it's for sure going to get worse before it gets better. But for this week, Start creating that list of all the things that all the people in this child's life is doing for the anxious child, right? Or any, or even siblings too, you know? And it's not even just anxiety. Any child that has trouble regulating their emotions. Maybe there's things that people are doing to avoid aggressive meltdowns or them chucking the iPad across the room or an emotional overwhelm. I hear parents all the time saying, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells right? What is it that we're doing walking on eggshells? Um, So again, it could be other adults, but it could be other kids like siblings who are doing things just so that their sibling won't cry or freak out or whatever it is. I don't want to set you off. So I'm just going to do all of these things to make your world perfect, right? And that's going to be hard because life is always going to be throwing us curveballs. So we want to note these, list them all, Identify what the opposite would be. What do we need to stop doing, reduce doing, so we're not doing anxiety with the kiddos? And then next week, like I said, I'll go into the extinction bursts and how to manage those because that is a critical piece for our success. So I'll leave it there for today. There's lots of things that we're thinking about. Um, In the show notes, actually, I'll put some more examples of common accommodations that I happen to see. So definitely check those out. Have a lovely day. Go help those kiddos be bold and courageous. And I will see you next week. 